In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed Oil & Gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart. Today, my guest on the show is Jimmy D. Robinson, Jr. Jimmy is the Chief Operating Officer for Northern Oilfield Services. Jimmy, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Okay, so Jimmy D. Robinson, Jr., that means there's a senior, right? Yes, yes, there is. So you guys are like second, third generation oil folks or what? Yeah, yeah, my grandfather, Jim Robinson, hence why I'm not a third started us off in the oil field there in the 70s boom after being a cattle rancher you know my father followed in his footsteps and then decided he was tired of working for people and went out on his own and i suppose like any good son you want to outdo your father when you can so i followed in his path and trying to make a name for myself i'm certainly not there yet but starting to get a little traction in what is my favorite industry okay so let's talk about northern oil field services you guys see you were Born and raised in Western Wyoming, but now you live in Colorado. Is that right? Yes. Okay. And what part of Colorado? We are just south of Denver here. Totally a move for convenience of travel, having the companies up in North Dakota and, and all the corporate offices in Houston now. So okay, well, <laughs> okay. So hang on here just a minute. I'm getting confused here. So you live in Colorado, born and raised in Wyoming. I can understand. Okay, so you live in Colorado. There's some proximity there. But Northern Oilfield is based in North Dakota with a focus on the Bakken. Isn't that right? Yes. Yes, it is, which would bring you to the question of why aren't I in North Dakota? Yeah. And where's Houston come into all this? Well, it turns out, well, five, six years ago, a lot of the EMP companies that worked in the Bakken were largely in the Denver area, but a lot of them have now transitioned as Houston's always been the hub. It is more and more. So if you're going to do sales calls and engage with your customer beyond the field level, you have to be where they are. And they continually seem to want to move south. A few exceptions, obviously, Continental in, in Oklahoma City and along with Devon. But yeah, you look at it, the oil field consolidating in a way from a corporate office standpoint, in a way we haven't seen. And, and the Balkans just the latest in a long string of plays that have kind of gotten to the next phase where they're consolidating bigger companies and they're all moving their, their headquarters, it would seem, down south. Okay. So what made you focus in the Bakken? <laughs> well, sometimes just the right opportunity happens and you have to roll with the flow. Of course, Wyoming, born, love my state. Anybody that's worked in the oil field for any amount of time knows they have to move around. And the opportunity came up to do something special there in North Dakota. And me and my wife just took the jump to try to make something happen. And you know, it's worked out really well for us so far. So it, it was very much an opportunity. And then once I got to North Dakota, you find that like any of these smaller communities that have had a oil boom or bust a few times, it can be a real special place. And my dedication and the company's dedication now is let's make make the most out of this community and what we have now. And then we can talk about expansion and other things later. I never jumped on to the bandwagon of, okay, let's expand anywhere. There's a small opportunity. Why not be one of the best in a small area, which is a copycat of my father and what he did in Western Wyoming. We think it's better for the community. We think it's better to push more and more of our employees to live in the communities they work because that cleans up a lot of the dirty side or the issues that people bring up about our industry, right? People that live in the community they work take better care of that community, better care of the environment. And I think with people closer to home, they think more about their safety 
day in and day out than maybe they do if, you know, their family's a thousand miles away. That's absolutely right. So let's talk about what Northern Oilfield Services does. Yeah, well, we're, I guess, in the most traditional sense, a wellhead and valve company, right? We focus from well control above ground, right? Casing heads, tubing heads, up through fracked iron and all the new and exciting technologies coming through in the completions world, right down to, you know, our newest focus, which because North Dakota is so isolated, we've really spent a lot of money to invest in refurbishing equipment, largely on the production side, not having to send things to Houston or to Oklahoma City. I think for those that don't play up in the snow and the cold that is North Dakota, they might not realize that it's three times farther to get to Houston than it is to get to Calgary, Canada, from where we are now. So we are truly isolated in a way that many other plays aren't, and we have to understand how to operate in that landscape. Well, and so from a safety perspective, that gives you maybe some extreme challenges that you might not have otherwise? Certainly, certainly. And my entire career has either been Wyoming, Colorado, Pennsylvania, or North Dakota. So I've never gotten away from pretty rugged winters, as you will, but North Dakota certainly being by far the worst. So yeah, you, you have the weather in every way and the way our good friends in Texas fight the heat and the rattlesnakes. We fight cold weather, slick conditions, times where two or three foot of snow will just drop on you. Luckily, as a community, an oil and gas community, we understand when to move and when to say, hey, maybe we need to wait a few hours, a few days. Some of that comes from state level with their frost laws. Some of it comes from the intuition that comes from making a lot of bad mistakes across the industry of what we should and shouldn't do. So there's a lot of attention paid, especially to what most consider the most dangerous part of our job, which is driving especially in the winter months, which can run, you know, October, November, all the way through March or or April, depending on how the weather plays. And so the story of NOS's safety culture, you've actually got a story there, don't you? I do have a little one. It's kind of a two-pronged version. The guy that runs or heads our health, safety, and environmental program was actually someone I've known since I was very young, I think nine or 10, when he started working for my father. And, And during one of the downturns, he went to work digging trenches and things and, and actually had one fall in on him. He was fully buried for almost 20 minutes. Oh, spent no. Good, spent a good six months in the hospital, had his, don't get mad at me, Stuart, I think it's his left foot that was totally <laughs> torn from his body and had to be put back on. Oh, oh. <laughs> so he has lived in a trench, no scaffolding, didn't pay attention to the safety, you know, mid-20s kind of kid in the 90s. And he paid the price, but he's paid it forward a thousand times over. And he was always a safety advocate for us, even before I put him into this position. So I feel honored that we have a guy that has real world experience that can really sit down and tell a guy, hey, this is what happens if you don't pay attention. That's where the head comes from. I think the second part of that story is me and him both kind of grew up in oil field doing pressure testing and inspection. inspection. And by definition, pressure testing is really trying to take equipment into an isolated area and see if it'll blow up or fail so that it won't or that it shouldn't when the guys are out there doing their job. So, you know, it's always been forefront that the most important part of this job is making sure the equipment's right before the the men and women go to work, trying to extract that oil and gas. So you guys have a special focus on training and I think in-house certification. Tell me about that. Yeah, absolutely. Part of it goes back to an earlier topic, which was we are in the middle of nowhere. I like to say the Balkan is its own island. So with that in mind, we had to figure out how do we best serve both ourselves and the community from a safety standpoint. And so with Stuart's passion in HSE, I basically gave him a quasi-blank check to go and get any certification he wanted 
or could find that would benefit the company. So it started small with PEC Safe Land and evolved into OSHA and, and being able to do H2S training, which he's doing right now, actually. I just got off the phone with him before this. And what we decided to do, we already have to do these in-house. Why not open it up to our customers and to even some of our competitors and other vendors we work with? Hey, we're doing these classes. Come along. We've got a highly intelligent, highly trained guy that does these. Maybe we only have one or two people in it on our own. So why don't we just open it up to them? We try to cultivate that, whether it's a new company man coming into the area and needs a couple of specific trainings before he can go on location. We just want to, we want to offer that, right? We don't want it to be an exclusive thing. You know, we don't want to just keep it to ourselves. So we can really hopefully benefit the whole community, including offering to do some of the first aid CPR training in conjunction with the Williston Fire Department and other groups like that that have a big focus on it. That's very interesting. I'm not sure I've ever heard a philosophy like that. This idea of community, that reminds me, I don't know if people have kept up with some of the stuff in the news about community over the last week or so, but I hate to use this term or, or give the person credit maybe who used it, but you know, it really does take a village when it comes to working together in a community and bringing to bear all the good things that the oil and gas industry gives us and at the same time taking care of our health and our safety in the environment, right? Absolutely. I would say to that end, the oil and gas needs a better marketing firm when it comes to that stuff. I mean, maybe it's only my experience, but I've worked in places where I could see the Wyoming range, the Wind River range, and just off the, you know, south of Jackson Hole. And where we were working, we were surrounded by nature and animals and all the things that we want to protect. And so everybody I've worked with, it, it is such an important part. Now, maybe you don't get that same connection if somebody from, say, Texas comes up to work in that. But I can honestly say, you know, I've gone down to Texas and I see the fields and maybe they don't touch me the way my mountains do. But I think when you look at community and you look at especially a place like North Dakota with the hunting and the fishing and all the things you can do outside, and most of the people that work in this industry love to do that, right? You would be hard pressed to find a large group in our industry that don't love what the outdoors bring. And yet there's this huge vision of the oil and gas industries not caring about nature, not caring about animals or even even the health of our own employees. And, and sure, some of that is going to come from a 150 plus year old industry. The river outside of Cleveland was on fire at one point. That was over 100 years ago. And that was before they realized the byproduct gasoline had value. And we've certainly had our fair share of large scale natural disasters. But I also have seen from a community level, from a day-to-day level, that men and women that work here, especially on the ground, the last thing they want to do is hurt the land, hurt the earth or anything else, because it is their playground. It is where their kids work and play. And ultimately, it's the water that their family drinks. Absolutely. And, you know, going back to the marketing thing, I don't know how we got out marketed on this, but this idea that those of us in the oil and gas industry, you know, we're for dirty air, dirty water, you know, we have to eat and drink the same stuff and breathe the same stuff everybody else does, you know? And so, yeah, and we can go back and look at some of the mistakes that we've made, but I can tell you from being in the oil and gas business from the environmental side since actually 1997, we've come a long way in our understandings and our attitudes about HSE. And as I say over and over again on this podcast, because we're big advocates for the oil and gas industry. Oil and gas is not the problem with the environment. Actually, oil and gas is going to be the solution to these problems. And we're making great strides along that along that path there. And so actually, I want to segue into that 
with something that you and I discussed off air. But before we do that, you started Northern Oil Field in 2017. You got in there starting kind of on the maybe some of the rebound from 2014, but then of course you had to survive all this COVID stuff and everything. You've got a pretty interesting business philosophy that I see how it translates over into your safety side, but let's talk a little bit about your business philosophy because when you started this company, you didn't exactly have venture capitalists funding you, did you? No, no. We took a bet on ourselves, partnered up with a few people, but you know, it took mortgaging the home and clearing out retirement accounts and taking a loan from family to really get it rolling and sustained over that first year, year and a half. I suppose I can say it with a chuckle now, but partially Northern was started because nobody would hire me after <laughs> having worked for my dad and then the company that bought his company out for almost a decade. My experience level might not have been there. It was a rough time. Oil was in the 40s, but most of the great companies and even some of the decent ones that we hope to be are started in the downturn, started when other people are, are given up. So that gave me hope. But you know, we've been able to persevere, as you're alluding to, kind of in two ways. One is we like to have fun with it. I try to involve people. We try to, you know, in a friendly manner, but we'll put a little Easter egg on our paperwork, right? There's a small lettering on our newest ticket form that just says SP, which is code for Shane proof because Shane refuses to fill out a ticket and do the math right. It's just, it's an on-running <laughs> joke. So, you know, <laughs> we tried to make it proof for him. So it's those kind of, you know, little fun things. You got to have fun while you're doing it. You know, we work in 16 hour days, mud and the cold. You, you got to have fun with it. Otherwise, you know, what's the point? It can get a little out of hand occasionally, but we're all adults enough to pull it back when, when necessary. So you mix that with, I mean, you have to have the fun because I believe that builds camaraderie in a way almost nothing else does. And then really, I like conflict. It has to be positive conflict. You have to make sure that everybody's heading in the right direction. One of my two favorite sayings in meetings is, if we all agree, then most of us don't need to be here. Right? There's redundancy in agreements. We may agree on the movement at the end, but we should have very spirited <laughs> discussions before that point, right? especially with myself. I don't need people or don't want people to agree with me as one of the leaders because you have the tendency to overshadow the discussion. So I think that's wildly important. That's a great point for business. It definitely flows into a safety program and how people view the safety program and whether they buy into it or not. Actually, I don't know if I have the exact quote, but that's a famous General George Patton quote. If everybody in the room thinks the same thing, then somebody's not thinking. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I'll give him full credit for that. I try to read plenty. I often forget who I should uh, appreciate for those words. <laughs> I don't think he was the first one to come up with that, but you know, he was definitely, I suppose, proved himself to be a great leader of people. The other thing you told me, and sounds like you've definitely done this with your safety program, you said everybody ought to understand their weaknesses and surround themselves with people that complement your strengths. Uh, absolutely. And I won't take full credit for that being my philosophy from the beginning. I really just tried to hire the best people I could at the time. And sort of what came from that is an eclectic group of people. We are a wellhead and valve company first and foremost, but that's not what I did for most of my career. Our CEO spent most of his time in drilling. My QA, QC guy spent a lot of time in drilling service. We have plenty of knowledge and people on staff that do the wellhead and valve, but we definitely have a group from the top that spent a lot of other times in the industry. And I think that gives you a, a better feel for how to do whatever specific thing you're doing. You, do, you get buttonholed in this industry, especially really, really quickly. This is how we've always done it. And so I find I learned plenty 
from the people around me, especially we hire in people that maybe worked on the EMP side or the you know procurement or in safety. And then you get to understand how they think about it instead of being stuck, I guess, in the service mentality. You get to see what they're really expecting, not just what they say when you're in meetings sitting across from the table. So I believe that's it's important in all areas, but I think it's extremely important in an industry like ours that has been known to be very siloed, group to group, division to vision, even within some companies. So getting that extra knowledge in there has, has been really been vital to my education. It's not the worst thing to lead an organization that you don't know everything about. That way you can rely on people to do their job to the fullest instead of micromanage because you think you could do it 2% better. Well, okay, so here's the final thing, and this is what I was talking about a while ago that I wanted to segue into some things we talked about off air. You said you're just kind of a pretty boring guy. Good whiskey and good books keep you busy when you're not with your family. <laughs> but one of the things that you you said was, and we probably don't have quite 15 minutes left, but <laughs> you said you have a 15-minute monologue you give to taxi drivers to educate them about petroleum in their everyday lives. Tell me about that. I will. One quick segue on that comment, because it was something I spoke to my team about last week during a safety stand down was I said, I hope you have boring lives when it comes to work. I hope you're 50 and you don't have any of the oil field stories I do. None of the near misses and all the stuff that came with working in the oil field. I came in in the late 90s and the 2000s. I didn't hit the 80s and 90s, but still so many times that people could have gotten seriously hurt. So that idea of being boring, at least from that aspect, I did bring that up last week. Don't push to have good oil field stories because all of them start with, I almost died. <laughs> right? Yeah, right. <laughs> so I wanted to segue that. Yeah. So, I mean, that goes back to what we talked about. I guess I'm a marketing team of one or an evangelist of one for the industry. And what I've found is, you know, even generally well-educated people outside of oil and gas do not understand how it touches their lives. For those of us in the industry, we have all the jokes about the protesters that get on their planes, drive in their cars, and then come protest oil and gas, not right, realizing right. Yeah, every yeah. inch. But there's another level that I think is more important. And taxi drivers are just a good one because it's a one-off conversation. Worst thing I can do is make them a little angry and they drop me off of my spot and they give me a four-star on Uber <laughs> as a rider. So I try to inform the things that we all already know in the industry. Right? From the things like antibiotics and plastics and things like that that make life better. You know, All of that is derived or derivative of what we do. And I usually try to find some, you know, specific examples within the vehicle or things that they reference to show them, you know, it, it is that integral to the world. It is important to use it widely. More and more as cryptocurrency and things like that have become more popular, it's easier to talk about that and being able to capture some of the wasteful gas and things of that nature to turn into Bitcoin or whatever else these companies decide to mine. And so there is value in what we're doing. And I just really like to push that forward. And then I always hit him with the end. It's like, we're humans. We don't want to die while we're doing this. We don't want to destroy the, the world while we're doing this. You know, we have children and grandchildren that we expect to enjoy this as well. And we see our industry as one of the main providers of how over the last 100, 150 years, life expectancy has gone from late 30s to upper 70s, even with a little pushback here recently, you know, that things my grandparents didn't have access to, like antibiotics, saved countless lives. And so... I don't have the monologue directly out, but it, it's always good to focus and let them know that a few things that they find more valuable in their day-to-day -day is a result of a lot of things, but oil and gas energy is at the center of that. And we see it, if we want to look, 
even more strongly across the world as we bring all living standards up. Oh, absolutely. You're absolutely right. That's why we're glad to be heard in over 100 countries. Jimmy, I have really enjoyed having the opportunity to meet you and bring you on the show. You bring something refreshing. I think people are going to enjoy listening to your story here. So I want to thank you for joining me in this worldwide audience. We'll be sure to include your LinkedIn contact information and website in the show notes so anyone listening can contact you directly for even more details. Finally, as always, you can find in the show notes my LinkedIn contact info where you can message me. Please let me know what you're enjoying about the show and suggestions for content that you might like to hear. Also, contact me for information on our OGGN Speakers Bureau if you're looking for a speaker at your conference or meeting. Tune in again next week for another episode of Oil and Gas Global Network HSE podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Please leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you listen to. Like us on LinkedIn. Tell all your friends about us, and we'll see you next time. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil and Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.